A reading now from Luke's Gospel as we ourselves prepare to take the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is already on the journey and as he heads toward the holy city, he hears, I'm reading from the 13th chapter, verse 31, he hears some news. At that time, some Pharisees came to see Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day because surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings? But you were not willing. Look. The house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This too is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to start by giving you a, a little test. Pretend it's Christmas. Pretend you are reading from the second chapter of Luke. The scene is where the shepherds are abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then something happens out of the ordinary. And two words are spoken. Here's the test. You get to Cut up the communion bread if you get it right. <laughs> what are the two words? Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great tidings, of great joy. For unto you, is, unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Be not afraid, the angel says, accompanied by a whole host of angels. And those words, fear not, are the admonition, I think, of all the admonitions and all of Scripture that we need to attend to and pay attention to and obey as a commandment, a life and death kind of thing. We cannot be people of faith and be controlled by fear. It's just not ever going to work. And I love, I love the, the poem that Amanda Gorman read at the inauguration January before last. You remember that beautiful poem she read? that she had written. She's the youngest poet laureate in the history of America. But she wrote a poem in which there is this line. Ooh, so good. 
For there is always light if we're brave enough to see it. If only we are brave enough to be it as well. Now there's a challenge for you. It's what we need to do this Lenten season. Think, what, what challenges do I need to embrace? How, how, can I, how can I go deep and make sure that I'm grounded in, in the great promises of God? Because there are plenty of reasons to be afraid these days. And because fear is a natural human reaction. We were made to react in fear. Why? Because God didn't want the tiger to bite us or to eat us even worse. You know, you need to be afraid. Oh, here's a tiger and he looks as if he's going to eat me. So I'm going, I'm afraid and I'm going to flee. That's what you call fear and flight. Fear can be a good force. But it can be a terrible force when you see someone walking down your street who doesn't look like anybody who lives on your street. And you're thinking, who is that guy? And is he here to do something terrible to me or to us or to my neighbors? I think I promised myself I wouldn't talk about the Aubrey trial, but when I was down here, but I do think that the three men who were convicted of Ahmaud Aubrey's murder, the, what was the deal? The deal was fear and hatred of black people. And when you feel like, I gotta get that person out of here, just because I don't like them, and I'm afraid that Black people are taking over the country or whatever. Fear and hatred are a very, very serious mix. They do tell a story in Texas that I like very much. The late Molly Ivins used to tell this and she was so funny. She was a great columnist in, in Texas. And she, she wrote about the two little boys whose mama asked them to go to the hen house and uh, collect some eggs. And so she also told them that there was a chicken snake in there and he, she wanted them, them to collect the snake too. So they looked for the eggs and they didn't especially look for the snake but as they were leaving, they looked on the top laying shelf, and there, and lo and behold, was the chicken snake. And they, they ran out of the uh, chicken house so fast they stumbled all over one another. Their mother said, Don't you know that chicken snakes won't hurt you? And one of the boys answered, Yes, ma'am, we know but there are some things that will scare you so bad you will hurt yourself. <laughs> and I think that's a, a great lens to look through so many of the dark forces that control our behavior these days. Uh, we're afraid of things that we don't need to be afraid of and then we let big things 
just go by the wayside because they seem too complicated or uh, difficult to deal with. I'm just sure that the struggle between fear and faith, hope and faith, is a classic struggle that will go on until the end of time. And I believe it makes all the difference in the world whom we believe will carry the day. Because if you get into a cynic's posture, say, well, there's really not anything I can do about climate change, or I, I can't change the crazy ideas of those, those people in that other political party from mine. I, I, I can't. I'm just telling you. We have got to do the positive rather than the negative thing. We've got to do the hopeful thing. We have to believe in a country that is the United States of America. That's the name of our country. It's not the divided states of America. This is the United States of America. And that's our hope, that people who are different from one another can live together in a positive way, not agreeing on everything, fighting like tigers sometime over which policy to adopt. But until we are motivated by hope, the powers of death and darkness can carry the day. And even in the darkest circumstances, one doesn't necessarily have to get discouraged. I, I remember reading some time ago about a, a chaplain who was beginning her work at a hospice home. And one day, um, the new chaplain said to one of her patients, asking her actually, are you afraid to die? Because after all, she was a hospice patient. And the patient answered, no, I was, but I worked through that. I accept the fact that I'm immortal and life is coming to an end. But won't you be sad or whatever? The chaplain asked again when the patient said, you know, if we, when we get to the day that I'm dying, I am absolutely convinced that that is the day that God will not disappoint. God's with me all the way, and not just to the end, but through the end, and into that other realm of which we have only had little glances and hopes. Now we see through a mirror darkly, Paul says, when we're talking about eternal things, and I want to say, well, why don't we clean the mirror and see if we can't see it all very clearly so we won't have to worry about what's going to happen and, and be doubtful about it. But no, we have, a, we have a mirror that's not easy to see through now, but the day will come when we will 
know everything and see the face of God close to close up. I think about the difference between hope and despair. And I, I know you saw with me the, the incredible photograph that looked like it was from World War II of the, all the thousands and thousands of Ukrainians who had gathered to get on that one train. Now, we're not in the Ukraine and we're not under fire. But I have to say, the people of the Ukraine have inspired me more than any group of people I've seen I can ever remember. Their courage. And all those people trying to get on that train and not pushing and all of that. What are they motivated by? Are they motivated, motivated by hope or by despair? No despair. That's not on the agenda. They're motivated by hope. They're motivated by the possibility that what is going on right now does not have to determine what the future will be. I think that's the Easter story itself in a nutshell. The, I don't mean to make the news of the resurrection trite, but the empty tomb tells me that the worst thing that happens will never have the last word. Why? Because this world belongs to God and God is the source of unconditional love. That's not to say we won't suffer and die this side of the glass we can't see through very well. We were made to be mortal. But goodness sake, there's a large hopeful story we're a part of. And those great citizens in Ukraine who are now two million of them uh, displaced, they still have hope. They still have hope. St. Augustine wrote a wonderful line that has encouraged me across the years. He wrote, hope has two daughters. The daughters are anger and courage. Anger at what is and doesn't have to be and shouldn't be the ugliness, the evil, the brutality in the world. You've got to get angry about that so that you'll do something about it. And courage to take the action, whatever it is. To stand up and stand with people who are suffering. Compassion means not to feel sorry for. It means to understand what it might be like to go through someone, to live life going through it in someone else's skin. Just a word about the difference between hope and optimism. Uh, Al and I have a little dog named Lucky. Lucky Louis Adams is his name. He's a little French bulldog. And um, 
I think he's really a descendant of Charlemagne's dogs. He's a very, very noble fellow. Uh, but, you know, when Al took Lucky to the vet the other day, you know, Lucky started trembling when he got in the car. You know, and Al holds him and it's going to be all right, Lucky. No, no, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Well, it's not going to be all right till he gets his shot. But we try to do whatever you can to calm someone who's frightened and anxious down. But what we use with Lucky is what I would call naive optimism. <laughs> sort of not really tuned in to reality. The shot will come. <laughs> we, however, can do better than that. We're going to leave chronic pessimism on the side of the road. We're not going to touch anything close to low-grade despair. But what we're, what we're going to do, what we're going to do is to be um, a hopeful realist. I don't think everything's going to turn out all right and that the day will come when we'll all live happily ever after. Not, not until Christ comes again, which I do believe. Um, but the only way to get through life these days is by living it in a hopeful way. I'm so struck by how Jesus, when he is confronted uh, and given a death threat. Did you notice, first of all, that he was not afraid at all? And he said, you go tell that fox, <laughs> I'm going to carry the day. No fear whatsoever because he knew the big plan was in place. And he knew he was never going to abandon it. And he knew for certain God would never abandon it. So... The beautiful 27th Psalm starts with these brave words. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. If you haven't memorized a Bible verse in a while, why don't you try on Psalm 57 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? I will close with the, a memory that I have from years ago because it reveals so dramatically to me the power of fear to do us in and make us deny the best that we know. It was in the 1980s and a group of Presbyterian ministers were invited to go to Africa to visit the mission stations along the countries in the, uh, along the uh, 
center of Africa. We went to Ghana and Nigeria and um, what was then Zaire and a couple of other countries. And the first night we arrived, we, we had flew to Accra from Amsterdam. You, you, you want to know the whole itinerary, don't you? You want to know everything? <laughs> anyway, we hadn't slept in three days, and then we were taken up to a little village on a plateau, a little village called Accra, and it was a girls, there was a girls' school, the dorms we were going to share with the girls, and it was, we were really just zombies by the time we got there, and the next morning at breakfast, one of the members of our group, and I have to say, he was the most prominent Presbyterian minister that was with the group and one of the most prominent in our nation. And he said, I have to confess something to all of you. After you had gone to sleep last night, I went into both the restrooms that had been assigned to our group And I took all the toilet paper and all the paper towels and all the soap and I hid all of that in the duffel bag I'd brought to take presents home after our trip. I wanted you to know that here's the duffel bag and I'm going to be in the women's room for a little bit putting the paper products back. And he just started to cry. And he said, please forgive me. I was just frightened that I wouldn't have enough to take care of my own needs. Fear can make you lose yourself and the best of your values. So I bring you a little word from that trip. Same trip we visited a hospital where children were literally dying of malnutrition and I spoke to a little boy who was really, really very, very, very ill. And I just touched his head and said a prayer and smiled at him. And then over my shoulder, I heard his fragile little voice speak. He said one word, Moyo. M-O-Y-O. -O. And then Shaluba, the dialect of this area of what was then Zaire. The word means, I wish you life. Moyo, the starving child, said to me. He could only bless me with his words, but the memory of him has blessed me all the rest of my life. Don't be so afraid. You're a grabber. And you take everything unto yourself. Because that's the opposite path. 
to where we're going. We're going to see our Savior give his life for the sins of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.